Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our West Conway campus. Thanks for listening. So the other day, um, I had to write a check and I felt like a dinosaur, right? Um, you, you guys remember checks? Yeah? Uh, college students, a check is like Venmo, but on paper, all right? That's, that's what a check is. But um, there's a very popular sermon illustration that I remember growing up and hearing as a kid um, that talked about giving the Lord a blank check with your life and letting him kind of fill in the details and, and take control of your life. You've probably heard that sermon illustration at some point. I think it's a good sermon illustration. Um, a blank check obviously is one that you just sign your name at the bottom, but you don't fill in any of the, the details on how much the check is worth, right? There's a movie in the 90s that Disney made called Blank Check. If you remember that movie, it's about this little kid. He found a blank check and he wrote in the amount. And the biggest number he could come up with was $1 million, right? And uh, 30 years ago, apparently $1 million went a long way, a lot further than it does today. I mean, he's buying a mansion. He's putting in a go-kart track in his backyard. He's living like Jeff Bezos or Warren Buffett, one of the, you know, the richest guys in the world today. He'd buy a couple months worth of groceries, right? Um, but that, that's what he came up with. Uh, I think it's a good illustration of this blank check idea because it helps us understand what it looks like to have full commitment to God, right? Full commitment. Um, unfortunately, I think a lot of Christians today don't live with this blank check idea. They would live with what I might call the, the gift card type of faith, right? You know what a gift card is. Gift cards are great to receive at the holidays. Somebody gives you a gift card for $25, $50. It has a set amount to it. Michael Scott says that gift cards are a great present because it says, hey man, I love you a specific amount of dollars, right? But in terms of what we're talking about this morning with faith, the gift card idea is not good, right? I'm going to determine the amount that you get. I'm going to put the parameters on it. I'm going to be in control of this part that I'm giving you and the rest I'll kind, of, I'll kind of take control. The blank check idea is completely different, right? And so this morning, what I want you to wrestle with as we get started is maybe just this question of what does your faith look like? Like if you could be real honest with yourself, would you say I have blank check type of faith, meaning God, take my life and use it in whatever way you see fit, or would you say probably have gift card? faith this morning. My goal, I have one goal this morning, and that's to help us all walk out of here putting our yes on the table before the Lord and saying, whatever it is that you have for my life, I'm saying yes to. And so, in fact, that's the way that I want us to start. Before we read our passage, I want us just to pray and ask the Lord first if he would speak to us this morning like we do every Sunday. Ask the Lord, God, would you speak to me? But then there's a second part I want you to add on this morning if you're brave enough. And that's to pray, God, whatever it is that you're calling me to, I'm saying yes to it, right? That's a brave prayer because you don't know what he's calling you to, but this morning just preemptively put your yes on the table this morning as we pray, all right? So I'm gonna give you a few minutes to do that. Ask the Lord to speak and put your yes on the table now. God, whatever you have for me, I'm saying yes now.
God, we thank you just for the moments that we share together as a church family. Lord, as we open up your word, God, I pray that it's you that we hear from. Nothing that I would have to say, but everything that you would have to say would come across clearly this morning, that you would speak through your spirit and through your word, and God, would you help us to listen, to obey. Whatever it is that you are calling us to this morning, God, would you help us just to say yes right here and right now. It's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. All right, Genesis chapter 12. We're gonna start um, the, the story of a guy named Abram or Abraham this morning. And what you see in Genesis 12 is the calling moment of Abram. So Genesis chapter 12, verse one. It says, the Lord said to Abram, go out from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Verse four, so Abram went. As the Lord had told him and Lot went with him, Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, all the possessions that they had accumulated and all the people they had acquired in Haran and they set out for the land of Canaan. So what we're talking about this morning is the call of God. That's what you see in Genesis 12. It's the, it's the famous moment, the call of Abram or Abraham. It's the same guy. He's going to have two names. God's going to rename him in just a few chapters, but don't get hung up on that, all right? Abram means father. Abraham means father of many, all right? Tim Keller helpfully says <laughs> that Abram means daddy. Abraham means big daddy. So don't get, don't get hung up on his names. The point that I want us to look at this morning is what it looks like to answer the call of God in a way where you say yes and you go all in on it. So before we really get into this, this idea of what it looks like to follow him, first let's talk a little bit about the call of God. What is the call of God? First, what you need to understand is the call of God saves you. The call of God saves you. Abraham is a big deal in your Bible. He's mentioned all throughout, right? Even in the New Testament, several places, Abraham is mentioned all throughout the Bible. He's really known for, for two major things. First, he's known for the song, right? The little kid song, Father Abraham had many sons. We're all one of them. That's the song, that's him that it's talking about. But then he's also known for having great faith and great trust in the Lord. But here's the thing. Here's something you might not know about Abraham, and that's this. Before God called him, Abraham wasn't a great guy. He wasn't faithful. In fact, his family worshiped other gods. He was an idolater. That's what Joshua chapter 24 verse 2 tells us. But God calls him out of that. And so what made Abraham great was nothing inside of him. What made Abraham great was the call of God. God graciously called him out of that life of idolatry and out of, out of pagan worship and all those kind of things. God graciously called him and Abraham responded in full trust and faith. And that's the same for us, that the call of God is how you become a Christian. God calls you. You don't just decide on your own to be a Christian. You don't just reason and think, I think this worldview or this religious set of ideas makes the most sense, and so I guess I'll funnel into this. God graciously calls you, and you respond 
in faith. That's, that's how salvation works. So Jesus finished the work that was necessary for your salvation. He lived a life that you couldn't. He died a death that you should have. He was placed in a tomb because he was dead, but he defeated sin and death by walking out of the tomb alive. He ascended into heaven where he's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he's praying for you even right now. He did all the work that was necessary, and now today, the Spirit of God convicts you of your sin and calls you to God. This is how salvation works. And then you and I respond by saying yes to him, by putting our faith and our trust in him. And so if you're here this morning and you've been sensing that the Lord is calling you, you're feeling, people describe it as maybe like a tug at your heart of some kind of way, man, that's the call of God. He is calling you to himself, and that is the grace of God. Jesus uh, says, I stand at the door and knock, right? And what I would say is, don't just put that off as one of these days I might answer that call. You don't know how long he's gonna stand there and knock, right? It is a gracious call of God that he is calling you now, so don't put that off. Answer and respond to him. So the call of God saves you, and then the call of God shapes you. The call of God, immediately, as you say yes to Jesus, the call of God begins to shape your life. Here's the deal. Some of us have answered that first call for God to save us, or at least we would say that we have, but your life is not shaped by Jesus. Sure, you like him, and you, you believe in him, at least mentally or theologically, and you hold on to the basic tenets of Christian faith, that Jesus, that he, that he died and rose again, like you believe, all of those kind of things. But if you would really examine your life, you would say, but that isn't shaping my life in any kind of way. When Jesus calls you for salvation, it simultaneously is a call to the mission of God, which begins to shape your life. And that's what I want us to talk about with our remaining time is what this looks like for the call of God to shape your life. What does it look like for the call of God to shape your life? I've got three things for you if you're a note taker. First, you gotta be willing to number one, leave the familiar. For the call of God to shape your life, you've gotta be willing to leave the familiar. Look at verse one. It says that the Lord said to Abram, go from your land your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. What just happened is God just told Abram, leave home, leave family, and leave your identity. The father's house thing in this culture was huge. You don't just walk out on father's house because that was your whole, that's your whole resume, right? That's your whole identity. And God just says, leave all those things. Leave your home, leave your family, leave your identity behind. About seven years ago, Abby and I, we began to sense that, that God was calling us to do something similar, that he was calling us to leave our home, leave our family, leave everything that we've ever known, and, and move to a new state to serve him. What made matters worse is he was calling us to Louisiana. And, you know, I felt like Jonah having to go to Nineveh in a lot of ways, but uh, Jonah didn't have to deal with gators, you know, so... Um, so that was, that was a, a unique thing. There was, a, in the beginning, there was a sense of adventure and excitement of being called to go to a new state and, and do that whole thing. But I'm telling you, almost immediately, after we got all our stuff moved into our home and our parents drove away, there was just this sense of what did we just do, right? 
because we had left everything that we'd ever known. We, it's hard to leave familiarity. You, you would identify with this, right? This is a truth that familiar is comfortable. Familiar is comfortable. And so when you leave those things, man, everything is new. Everything is new. I remember we went into Kroger for the first time. We didn't have Kroger's in Oklahoma. And so we get to Kroger for the first time and it was like this moment where all of the new just began to hit my wife, Abby, and she right there in the middle of Kroger just broke down and started crying. Cause it's like, I don't know where to find all of our stuff, you know? And it was just this moment of everything is new. What are we doing here, right? You have no support system. You have no family, which means no babysitters. <laughs> you have no reputation. You realize that? Like you move to a new place, people don't just know you. Like you don't have a preset trust into people. Like everything you do is placed under a microscope. And it's hard, it's difficult. And then about five years ago, God called us to do that again. And we moved to a place I'd never heard of called Conway, Arkansas. And uh, we like it a lot better than Louisiana, by the way. But starting over, leaving familiar, leaving comfortable is difficult, it's hard. And that's exactly what God just called Abram to do. Leave your home, leave your family, leave your identity, leave everything that's familiar and comfortable, leave it. And, and, and we know that like God is gonna use Abraham in incredible ways and, and God's really gonna work in his life as we follow his story, but he didn't have the privilege of being able to see that whenever he took his first step, did he? Leaving familiar, leaving comfortable is hard, but let me just say this, that many Christians today miss out on God's best for their life simply because they're afraid of leaving familiar. God has bigger things. You just gotta be willing to leave the familiar. So if you want the call of God to shape your life, you gotta be willing to leave the familiar. Number two, you gotta have incredible faith. Have incredible faith. Look again at verse one. Lord told Abram, go from your land, your relatives, and your father's house, leave home, family, identity, to the land that I will show you. <laughs> See that? God didn't even tell him where he's going. It's not like he's like, hey, you're gonna go down I-40 for about 300 miles, get off on exit 124, go a few uh, miles, turn right. None of that, didn't even give him a clue. Just basically says, leave everything that you've ever known, and I'm not even gonna tell you where we're headed. So at that church I was at in Louisiana, there was this thing that had kind of become popular. They'd done it for 20 something years with their student ministry that they called the mystery trip. And uh, the mystery trip was a big, big deal. All right, this, I'm talking these kids, they sign up to go on this trip. They pay this money. They have no idea where they're going at all, but it's gonna be somewhere big. It's not like they're gonna show up at a Dave and Buster's and be like, surprise, mystery trip. No, you're going somewhere big. And so I had never been a part of this before, never gone on one myself. And so they asked me to go as one of the adult sponsors. And the guy who led the trip, his name is Bobby. Um, he's since gone to be with the Lord, but he is a great friend, one of the most creative guys I've ever met in my life. And this mystery trip was like his baby. He loved planning the mystery trip. And so as I was going on as a sponsor, he wanted me to get the full experience as well. And so he didn't tell me any of the details. So I show up at the church at midnight to get on this charter bus with all these students and, and go to the mystery trip, wherever that is. We drive from Shreveport, Bossier, Louisiana to Dallas-Fort Worth, where we go to DFW Airport. Bobby hands me a ticket to get on an airplane that says Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania on it. 
So that's stop one. That's as much as I know, right? We get to Pittsburgh that afternoon. We go to a Pittsburgh Pirates and, and a Chicago Cubs baseball game, which was super cool. Ate some good food, did all the stuff in Pittsburgh, stayed the night. The next morning we woke up, Bobby tosses me some keys to a 15 passenger van and he says, follow me. <laughs> and so I'm like, all right, I'm just following Bobby. Here we go. And so we leave Pittsburgh. We drive all the way up to Niagara Falls, New York, where we get on a speedboat that goes up class five rapids, which was awesome. We also rode the Maid of the Mist boat, Jim and Pam's wedding. Um, that's two office references this morning, and I apologize for that. But that boat was very misty, lived up to its name. Um, and so we did that in Niagara Falls, had real buffalo wings in Buffalo, New York. It's super cool. The next morning, we got up, and we started to drive around the Great Lakes to a place called Sandusky, Ohio, which apparently is the roller coaster capital of the world. And it's the place where I learned I no longer like roller coasters, you know. Too old for that, apparently. And so I sat in the cafe most of the afternoon, told the students, I'll be right here if you need me. From Sandusky, Ohio, the next day, we got up and we drove to Chicago, Illinois, where we had deep dish pizza, watched the Blue Man Group, and saw all the sights. Really cool trip, right? But all along the way, I learned something about myself. I really like control. <laughs> I really like to know where we're going next, right? But the whole point of the trip and what Bobby was trying to teach those students and me on this trip is that's exactly what it looks like to follow God, right? Like you, you sign up for this thing and you're not really sure where you're headed. There's gonna be highs and there's gonna be lows, but your job is just to follow the one who's leading and trust that he's gonna get you to the destination. That's what incredible faith looks like. That's what Abraham's called to. That's what he does. That's the kind of faith that he had. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says this, Hebrews 11, 8, by faith, Abraham, when he was called, he obeyed. He went out even though he did not know where he was going. Listen, that's Christianity. That's what you've signed up for. Full trust, full obedience to the call of God, understanding that his ways are higher than mine, his ways are better than mine. And so faith is actually saying, my life is safer in his hands than it is in my own. I'm putting full trust in him, blank check on the table, spend my life however you see fit. The problem is, is that you and I really love control, don't we? It's hard to let go of control. A lot of people, when they're struggling through this call of God and whether or not they wanna submit, they'll ask questions like, well, I have to give up this thing if I decide to follow Jesus? Will I have to break up with him or her? Will I have to move overseas? Will I have to stop doing this thing and start doing this thing? If I do this thing that God is calling me to do, how's it gonna affect my livelihood? And I'll just say, all of those are horrible questions to ask. Those are the wrong questions to ask when God calls you. If your response to the call of God on your life is tell me where we're going, tell me what we're gonna do when we get there, how much is it gonna cost me, and then I'll commit. Listen, you haven't answered the call. That's gift card kind of faith. That's I'm gonna give you a little bit of control, but not the full thing. I still wanna be in the driver's seat. I still want to stay in control. Listen, half-hearted surrender is no surrender at all. You can't go with half-hearted surrender to the Lord. The core of what's happening in this story is God is calling Abram, and I think he's calling us as well, to totally surrender and have incredible faith in him. 
And sometimes, look, sometimes he's gonna call you to go when you'd rather stay. Sometimes he's gonna call you to stay when you'd rather go. But the destination and the location, those aren't the important parts. The, the, the thing, the point of all of this is to have incredible faith in him. <laughs> totally surrender to him. And you can do that, you know why? Because God's promises are true. Every single one of them. His promises are true. God makes several promises in this passage. Look at verse two and three. He says, I will, you're gonna see that phrase over and over again. He just tells Abram, go. And then God says, look at all that I'm putting on me. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. In other words, through all these promises, what God is saying is you simply trust me and I'm gonna provide for you and I'm gonna protect you. Just, just trust me. And, and the same promises are, are applied to us as well and you can trust his promises for your life because he has never and he will never break a promise. He's always come through every single time. Think about that. How, who else can you say that about? Every promise of God has come true. How do I know? Look at the person of Jesus. Look at the person of Jesus. That's what 2 Corinthians 1.20 says. For every one of God's promises is yes in Jesus. Every single one. What that means is that Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of every promise of God. You see a big one in this passage that Jesus fulfills in verse three. God, uh, God tells Abram, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That's a huge messianic prophecy, a huge promise of God that he's gonna send a savior. That's certainly not talking about Abraham. It's pointing straight to Jesus Christ that through his life, his death, his resurrection, all the people of earth are gonna be blessed through him. What he's done is gonna provide ultimate provision and protection for those who answer the call of God. That's the good news. So if you want the call of God to shape your life, you gotta leave the familiar, you gotta have incredible faith. Finally, number three, you gotta engage your feet. Engage your feet. So God tells him to go. I'm not gonna tell you where but go, now look at verse four. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him. God, God tells Abram, he says, hey, go, and Abram takes off. Later in his life, God is gonna tell Abraham, you're gonna have a son, and Abraham just trusts him, even though none of the details make sense. He's old, his wife has never been able to have children, None of the details make sense, but Abraham just trusts him. Finally, you're gonna read in his story that the Lord is gonna tell him, hey, that son that I promised you, take him up on a mountain and sacrifice him. And Abraham just starts to climb. What you need to know is that true faith is seen through obedient action, engaging your feet to the things that he's called you to. Listen, the Christian life is a life of action, isn't it? Think about the greatest command that Jesus gave us as he was leaving the earth. Matthew chapter 28, it's the famous Great Commission passage. You know it, you've heard it. Jesus tells his followers to do what? Go, Genesis chapter 12. 
He says, go, make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And remember this, I'm with you always, even to the very ends of the age. Jesus commands us to go, put feet to action. If you're bored with this whole Christianity thing, you're doing it wrong. This is a life of action that we are called to. The mission of God is before us and you and I have been called to it. So my question is, why do we just sit and stay? We've been told to go, but we just sit and stay. I think it's because we have that gift card type of faith that says, God, you can have a little bit. You can have this piece over here. You can have my Sunday mornings. I'll be in control of the rest of it. I think it's because we prioritize comfort over calling. Do you realize where Abraham was called to go in this moment? Canaan. Do you realize what Canaan means? Do you realize that Canaan was an extremely dark place? It was a place of pagan idol worship and God calls him to go there. And all along the way, Abraham is gonna walk by all of these little uh, altars that are built to foreign fake little gods. That's what the Oak of Mora is, Bethel and Ai. Later in chapter 13, verse 18, you're gonna see another Oak that's mentioned there. These are all pagan idol sites. And what does Abraham do every time he gets to one? He pops up an altar to the Lord to the one true God. He's marching through Canaan, this dark place, and he's reclaiming it for the name of the one true God. That's what incredible faith looks like. God says, go, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna bless you, and I'm gonna use you as a blessing, but if you wanna stay in safety, if you wanna keep a neat little comfortable life, you're not gonna be much use to anybody. And so you and I need to think about this, right? We need to wrestle with this because right now there are people all around you who desperately need you to tell them the truth that you know and have come to believe, but you're scared and you won't do it. Why? Because we prioritize comfort over calling. But I guess my question this morning for us as a church is, what if that all changes this morning? What if that changes by you and I placing our yes on the table and saying, God, whatever it is that you're calling me to, I'm in, I'm a yes. Spend my life however you'd see fit. Go back to my original question as we started our time this morning. Are you living a gift card type of faith or a blank check kind of faith? to the calling of God. And what would it look like for you in your life, very specifically you, what would it look like for you just to place your yes on the table this morning? Say, God, here's a blank check, my life. I'm turning it over to you because you know how to spend it far better than I do. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.